We're going to spend the next few days on the prophet Zechariah. This is a good day to focus on him. He says, return to me and I will return to you. God says, return to me and I will return to you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery, taking you through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We're going to talk about that in about a minute. Right now, Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? Today we're talking about Zechariah 3 and the priestly garments. Ryan? Today we discover that God hid the name of his son Jesus in the pages of the Old Testament. More on that after the teaching. In fact, he did. Very interesting. Thank you, Ryan, for doing that. That's coming up in about 17 minutes. Okay, Janice? Today, restored relationship. All right. Take your Bible out, the most important book of all. That's God's word to us. Take our Bible guide. If you don't have one, stay there. We'll tell you how you can get one. And let's focus on this and listen to what God tells us. Zechariah 1, 1 through 6. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Today we begin the book of Zechariah. This is a great prophet, by the way. We begin in Zechariah chapter 1, during the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the king of Persia. Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. In his book, he writes eight visions about the end of time. He uses Israel's devastating past experiences as exiles to encourage and to inform them of their future hope and future mission. Now, the people must never forget the foolishness of their fathers who did not worship God. The first four chapters set up on the focus of the future. While we see the majesty of the Almighty God in the visions of Zechariah, one thing we can always count on is the words of the Holy Spirit, that they're clear and they're sharp. You see, there is nothing that is irrelevant. Everything matters when we read about the coming of Messiah and the details of the end of age. And let me tell you something. 
this book talks like and speaks like it's a New Testament book. It is absolutely fascinating. And I did a series on the 14 sermons of the 14 chapters on Zechariah, and it's coming at the end of the year. And I want to tell you that this is a great book. Very, very interesting. Today we talk about Yahweh remembers. Take your Bible guide and turn to it as we focus on this and listen to what God says. If you don't have a Bible guide, we'll send you one. Write to us or call us, or you can go to Bible Discovery TV. Don't forget the TV, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go there, click on the Bible guide page. It'll take you to the Bible guide, take you to a place where you can donate. First, thank you for your donations. They keep us alive here, especially at this time of year. But anyway, uh, it takes you then to a page where you can download it just exactly how we've printed it. So you'll have a copy yourself. That's really good if you're overseas because sometimes the mail takes forever to get overseas. Anyway, so it's important to remember that Zechariah is here to teach us what God said and says to us about the future. It's very good. Yahweh remembers. Let's pray. Father, today I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would open up our hearts to your wonderful word, that we would see the Bible in a new way. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and we can see you work. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Chapter one is absolutely stunning. It's amazing. Now, it begins like this. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, the Lord has been very angry with your fathers. That's what he says with the previous generations. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts. And I love this line. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return to me and I will return to you. God says, return to me and I will return to you. Simple. We should always seek the face of God to keep him close in our lives. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people today who are not seeking God. There's a lot of people today who have gotten lost in all of the political stuff, all of the economic stuff, all of the this, that, and the other, and every social stuff. And God says, return to me and I'll return to you. So seek the face of God. That's what it means. That's what God is saying. Lord, help us to seek your face. Help us to do the right thing today. Help us to return to your word. Help us to pray today. Teach us your way. Show us your paths every day, Lord. In Jesus' name. Zechariah 1, verse 4. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. We should not be like those who have turned away from God. Now, I, I, I need to say this. It seems like an obvious. Let's read this again. We should not be like those who have turned away from God. We should choose to turn towards God and his ways 
every single day. Let me give you an example. Something's happened in your life or something's going, you're going to make a big decision, this is happening, you're promoted, whatever. Whatever it is in your life, when you read the Bible first and when you pray and you say, Lord, today I'm going to, this is going to happen to me, but I, I want to turn towards you. Do you know God will give you ways that you can turn to him and give him the glory in those situations? I want to tell you it's true. God will give you ways. You know, your life is not separated. You don't have a separate work life and a separate play life and a separate religious life. It's a, what, what, what's the separation? What's that about? You're one. Okay, it's all one. So let's keep that in mind. That's very important. We need to pray every morning and we need to ask God to teach us every morning through his word and read his Bible. That's very important. Zechariah 1, 5 to 6. Here's what it says. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words, my statutes, which I command my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. In fact, he has. Now God's word lives it's a really important word, forever. God's word lives forever. Future, past, present, it's forever. God has no grandchildren, but his word is available to everyone in each generation. I want to tell you something. In this generation, we got people, we call them Zs and Xs. And I don't know. We, they come up with names for the different individuals. That's a, the naming of the individuals is a big deal. Let me tell you what I think it is. I think it's people, children and fathers and mothers and grandfathers. That's what you have. But God has no grandchildren because every person has to choose who God is. Every person has to decide who is Jesus Christ to me. Every person has to make that choice. So let me ask you a question. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Isn't that a great question? Who is Jesus Christ to you? How would you answer that question? Because the world and everyone around you is asking. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Father, I pray today you would help us not, you know, separate our life. We've got this over here. It's our work. Got that over there. That's what we play. Lord, our lives are one. We're not separate. We're one. Help us, Father, to integrate you into our lives. We want to return to you, make you first. And Lord, be the Lord of our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, this is what we ask. Amen. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. But he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. Welcome back to the program. Now, a while back, I did a segment which showed how two Old Testament prophecies limited the window of time in which the Messiah would arrive on the earth. 
which just so happened to co coincide with Jesus's life on earth. And today I wanna to do a similar thing because not only did God reveal in the Old Testament a specific time that the Messiah would arrive, but also what his name would be. It's true, God actually hid the name of the Messiah in a couple of different places in the Old Testament. Check it out. While the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear in Romans 1 that from birth God has hardwired human beings with a general knowledge that he exists and has also left a clear witness for his existence in creation, other biblical passages also make it clear that apart from God's special revelation through the scriptures, we cannot possibly know who he is. This is precisely Agur's point in Proverbs 30 when he asks, what is God's name and what is his son's name? Only through God's word can we know. Interestingly, the Bible tells us that God has many names and titles, each one revealing something about his character. And the Bible also reveals his son's name, Jesus Christ. Although this name was plainly revealed in the New Testament, it is hidden in the Old Testament as well. As a matter of fact, the first time we come across this name is in Exodus, when we're introduced to Joshua, the military commander and eventual successor of Moses. While not obvious in English translations of the Bible, the names Joshua and Jesus are one and the same. Joshua or Yeshua is the Hebrew form, but in Greek it is Jesus. That both men bore the same name could be considered a coincidence, except for the fact that many aspects of Joshua's life typified Jesus' life. For example, both descended from a man named Joseph. Both had a humble, obscure beginning but rose to a place of honor. Both were anointed by God. Both were filled with God's Spirit. Both led and shepherded the people. Both did for God's people what Moses could not do. Both delivered God's people from the enemies of God, and both promised rest and provided it. Interestingly, God revealed the name of his son again to the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah 3.8, God says, Hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant the branch. This passage connects the high priest Joshua, or Jesus in Greek, with the branch, which is one of the titles of the Messiah. Zechariah 6, 11-13 also makes this connection. It says, Take silver and gold, make an elaborate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua the high priest. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. In these passages, we see that the high priest Joshua was crowned like a king. This was not normal, since the priesthood and monarchy were separate offices. But God was making Joshua, or Yeshua, a symbol and a sign of the Messiah Yeshua, who would be a king and a priest. Thus, the prophet Zechariah also revealed the hidden name of the Messiah roughly 500 years before he was born. Now, one thing that I couldn't cover in this segment due to time was regarding the Hebrew name for Joshua. In Zechariah, the name as seen in the Hebrew is actually Yehoshua. And so this could leave us wondering how we get Yeshua from Yehoshua. Well, as Rabbi Jason Sobel explains it, it became a common practice to shorten Hebrew names like Yehoshua, which started with the root Yehovah or Jehovah in English. So Yeshua is just a shortened form of Yehoshua. 
And we see that in Ezra chapter 5, verse 2. So don't get confused about the variation. It's the same name, but one is a long form and the other is a short form. And we also do a similar thing in English all the time with names like John and Jonathan, Will and William, Alan, Alan, and so on. Very interesting. Thank you, Ryan. In uh, Zachariah, we, we're starting this process. This is really good. All right, Corey, you're up. All right. Well, in Zechariah 3, we get this really interesting image in heaven where the high priest is clothed in dirty garments and God, uh, you know, changes his garments into clean garments. And there's this uh, imagery that points to Christ as the, the, the coming high priest. We're told that this is all very symbolic right in Zechariah chapter 3. And later on in the New Testament, Hebrews will claim Jesus as the ultimate high priest fulfilling these prophecies of Zechariah 3. So I wanted to focus in looking back, not on these specific garments from Zechariah 3, but on the high priestly garments because they are very symbolic. So we're going to focus in on just one part of the garments today, the Urim and Thummim. The Urim and Thummim of the Bible are a bit of a mystery. They were held by the nine-inch square fabric breastpiece of the high priest's garb that was decorated by 12 stones, each carved with the name of an Israelite tribe. Despite extensive descriptions of the high priest's outfit, as well as the 12 stones, the Bible is surprisingly silent on the Urim and Thummim. What they were made of, how many of them there were, and their exact function are areas of debate. The only crystal clear thing about them was their purpose. They were to be used for making decisions for the Israelite nation. This decision-making was to be done in the presence of the Lord by the high priest at the request of the leader of Israel. How this process worked has been a matter of discussion. The Jewish Roman historian Josephus links the breastpiece with a special manifestation of God's presence that involved the glowing of the stones on the breastpiece and on the shoulders of the high priest. This association may stem from the possible meaning of Urim and Thummim as light and perfection. Other Jewish traditions envision messages from God being spelled out by a miraculous light, or a vision that saw the carved letters standing out from the names carved on the stones of the breastpiece. While these traditions are interesting, especially in the light of the potential meaning of Urim and Thummim, it's wise to examine the biblical passages that allude to their use. In 1 Samuel 14, King Saul inquires of God by the Urim and Thummim. When God doesn't respond, Saul gathers the nation for prayer and then sets designations for the Urim and Thummim. Urim will mean Saul, Thummim will mean Jonathan. Then the scriptures say they cast the lot between them. This term may explain the small number of mentions of the Urim and Thummim in the Bible. The phrases inquiring of the Lord and casting lots may refer to the use of Urim and Thummim depending on context. Casting lots was also a pagan form of divination and as such was actually outlawed by the Mosaic law. So how do we reconcile the apparent discrepancy between God outlawing divination while also sanctioning a certain kind of it? First, it's helpful to note that the Urim and Thummim were only to be used in the presence of God by the high priest and the leader of the nation. It was their way of deferring ultimate leadership to God's will. Anything apart from this was considered apostate. Second, the prophet Samuel's chastisement of Saul may be helpful here. He says that rebellion is like the sin of divination. How? Rebellion rejects the current authority and seeks to do things its own way, as divination rejects the proper methods of communicating with the spiritual world and seeks to do that its own way. 
So when it came to divination, was Israel willing to follow God? Or would they make excuses to justify becoming like the cultures around them? Now listen, I know that this is not all of the information that I possibly could have grabbed from history and specifically from Jewish tradition to kind of help explain the Urim and Thummim because there's some really interesting wild ancient theories out there, but I am working within a limited time frame and pulling the most pertinent information. So don't come for me if you're, if, if you're thinking about it. <laughs> uh, but I want to say also that the high priest's garments are extremely symbolic. So it would definitely be worth a study to look at more than just the Urim and Thummim uh, because we, you know, Christians have look look back at the descriptions of the priestly garments in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and and um, seen how they really do foreshadow Christ in a lot of really interesting ways. So it's definitely worth a study if you ever had the time. And this actually, this study is very significant because that's probably one of the questions I get a lot on the yeah. prayer meetings and all of that is the Urim and the Thummim. Like, yes. what is the deal with that? What's the deal with that? And there's a lot of speculation on it, yes. uh, but we just, we really don't know. Now, there are some people uh, some Jewish rabbis who've talked to me and insisted yes. that this is what it was, this is what it is, and That's all I mean, of that. Because there's a there's a theory too that comes from the later Talmud that talks about how the Urim and Thummim were actually four stones, not two stones, and they had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's name on them, plus the word tribe, and then every letter of the Hebrew alphabet was represented, so God would give messages using highlighting these letters. Interesting, but definitely extra biblical theories that don't necessarily mesh the best with what we see the Urim and Thummim being used as, for example, in 1 Samuel with Saul and Jonathan, where he just gives, you know, the Urim is him and the Thummim is Jonathan. And so there's, yeah, you always have to compare it. I'm not saying that it's not that. So again, don't come for me, but there's some really (laughs) interesting theories that have gone around. But I think it's important to remember that we confine our teaching to the 66 books. Uh, and that's really important. I can only say for sure what we read about in the scriptures and then everything else, including my own speculation. theories here, are speculation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Corey. Okay, yeah. Janice. This is all about a call to repentance in the first chapter of Zechariah. And imagine the creator of the universe saying, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Are you somebody that wants followed God that once thought that you would want a relationship with him and you strayed off the path. This isn't even where I was going to go today, but I feel as though I need to challenge you that you haven't gone too far. God says, return to me and I will return to you. When you come back to God with a repentant and humble heart, he will, he will come back to you. And so just call out to him today, dear one. You haven't gone too far. Come back to the Lord today. Don't wait. We're not promised tomorrow, are we? Come back today. Do not wait. Now, Zechariah was a contemporary of Haggai. Yesterday, I talked about Haggai talking to the people about why are you so concerned with your paneled houses and making your places uh, great and, and, and your comfort comes first before rebuilding the house of God to glorify God. 
And that was a good directive. And we learned a lot from what Haggai said. And now we see Zechariah, who is the contemporary of Haggai, speaking to the same group of people. They were discouraged. They were really discouraged. And Zechariah, like God, because God was speaking through Zechariah, was not just interested in the building of the physical temple, because he knew that nothing would be impossible with God. He could energize the people to and give them the strength to rebuild it. But God and Zechariah were more interested in rebuilding the relationship between God and his people. So therefore, we, we read in verse 3, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. This is restored relationship. You know, the Bible tells the story of God's redemptive plan and it culminates with God's victory over evil and salvations for all of us through his son, Jesus Christ. Salvation through Jesus Christ. This is what we teach and stand on here at Bible Discovery. We're a family who is committed to God. Through his word, each one of us has been personally healed and changed through his word. And what an honor and a blessing it is. You know, we don't always get it right. We're people just like you. We're a family just like yours. We don't always get it right. But I'll tell you one thing. God is the authority. God is the creator. He sent his son, Jesus Christ who paid the cost of our sin. He was the only one that could because he was fully God and fully man. And he extends the invitation to you today to accept him, to come to him and ask him to forgive you of your sins. When you come to him and believe that he died on the cross and rose again, he will come in and he will change you. He will change your life. And um, that's what he's interested in. That's what he's interested in today. Absolutely. Come to Christ and now's the time. This is the time to do so. So come to Christ now because the Lord is waiting for you. He's as close as the mention of his name. You know, today it's important when we pray that we ask God something very significant. And here's what I want to pray. Would you join me? Let's pray together. Lord, I don't want to do foolish things. (laughs) I really don't. Lord, I pray that you would help me not to do foolish things and that you would help me to serve you today, to do your will and that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven.